0: This podcast is for investment professionals only.
1: Hello and welcome to the April recording of Rich Pickings, Fidelity's Asset Allocation podcast. I'm Richard Edgar, Editor-in-Chief, and with me are some of the multi-asset team just hours after this month's Asset Allocation Group meeting. And indeed, we have two debutants this month. Ian Sampson is a research analyst, economist and...
2: Uh, someone who in 2014 had the highlights of their working experience at Fidelity when walking into work, I met Taylor Swift and we had a chat and uh, got our photographs taken together.
1: A lifetime's friendship formed, I'm sure. Uh, also, um, we have, uh, normally based in Hong Kong, but joining me in the studio here in London, Pecking, Portfolio Manager and...
0: I was born in Ipoh. Same town in Malaysia as Michelle Yeoh, the bond girl in Tomorrow Never Die. I
1: see the similarity now. And James Bateman, uh, CIO of Multi-Asset and... Someone who has... Is-
3: virtually never brushed with fame, but my closest um, claim probably has to be sitting directly behind right Said Fred on a plane back from Germany recently. A f- once famous band. Um, I think i are uh,
1: still moderately famous. Moderately famous <laughs> indeed. Um, <laughs> welcome to you all. James, the, um, the,
3: uh, the allocation has changed. Uh, tell me more. Indeed it has, Richard. So whilst our overall multi-asset positions are broadly similar, we'll come on to that. Within equity regions, we've made a couple of tweaks. So one is that we have moved the US to neutral, and the other is we Gone Overweight Japan and neither of those are surprising. They're things we've been talking about for a while. But we've, we've, we've made those both those decisions this time. And, and the move to, to U.S. neutrality is effect from underway is two things. One is um, we believe that the downside case to equities is greater than it was. And the U.S. market has a lower sensitivity to downward moves. It's, it's what we call a lower beta market. And therefore, it's more protective if the market falls. The second thing we're saying, actually, is that within the U.S., there are stocks we really like and stocks we really don't like. And so we're going to move to neutral but we're doing that through buying non-technology stocks so we're avoiding the fangs we're really underweight the fangs they've gone too far Um, but overall we think there's quite a lot of value still in the US market in the right areas
1: Uh, Ian, um, what do you think about this this move to
2: to Japan And, and perhaps contrasting that with Europe? Sure. Well, Japan is relatively cheap uh, versus its own history in an absolute terms and relative to its fundamentals. And conversely, it has some of the strongest earnings revisions across regions. Um, we like the Japanese yen. We like um, taking on a bit of yen risk, given that the, the Bank of Japan is moving towards normalization, also good for Japanese financials. Um, and I quite like it, pairing it versus the, the UK, which is our, our, our short, because similar to what James was saying, on the U.S., this introduces actually a bit of a risk-off characteristic in our regional positioning, which complements our, I guess, um, tentative equity longs that we're still holding. Relative to Europe, it has a, a lot of similar characteristics in terms of being earlier in its economic cycle than, than say, the U.S., moving towards economic normality, having a, a relatively underpinned currency. But it just on almost every key aspect it it outperforms Europe so again earnings, revisions valuations and the like
3: but the, the AAG is in fact still long Europe. We asked along Europe. The majority agree there are a couple of, of significant dissenters there. But Europe remains, I guess, one of two things. You know, we're concerned about the currency. But if you take the currency on board, a rallying euro and a bit of damage to the European economy is probably OK. So, you know, in that respect, we're comfortable with it. But secondly, um, if the currency stabilises or declines slightly, it'd be very good for exporters. So there's real upside there.
1: Uh, well, we're coming to Peck then. Um, you don't agree, though, do you? You're, you're not so hot on Europe.
3: Yes, because I think
0: the um, stellar growth uh, is actually quite well known uh, in the market. Now with the best behind us, this argue for uh, being negative, earnings revision is weak, return on equity is poor compared to the US, even many of the emerging markets. Valuation is definitely not quite supportive, Uh, price book not cheap relative to ROE. Politics is always a lingering concern. I think the strength of the euro is actually going to be a headwind for the uh, earnings
1: Could you switch um, to trading the currency instead of uh, shares in Europe?
0: That could be one of the considerations, but I think on a total return perspective, there's better opportunity elsewhere.
1: Okay, and um, uh, James, despite the disquiet that there's been in the markets, um, you're still overweight in in equities and there seems to be more willingness um, within the team to to trade in at certain spots. Absolutely. Um,
3: and, and, And much as we've talked about Contrasting 2017 with 2018, 2017 was the year of no volatility, overweight equities and sit back. This is a year where it really pays to be active with your asset allocation. And so we are actively um, topping and tailing positions. We are buying on weakness and selling on strength. and And this may be a range bound market for some time. Um, you know, at the moment we are we're buyers. If the market falls further, we'll be we'll be buying more, with the view that we we've got a good chance of touching or exceeding previous highs. At which point you start reducing your positions again. But this is not the time to be static. This is the time to be, be dynamic, and that's what we're doing.
1: And, and just to, on that theme, actually, I was struck by it's, it's probably Chatham House um, uh, in that meeting, so I won't name names. But one of your PMs was saying that he was excited by the dispersion um, that there seems to be uh, I- emerging now.
3: Exactly, and I, I actually think there is a degree of excitement among. Um, active managers of all sorts because we've had a period where by and large you you either bought the index or you bought a subset index like a sector and you sat back and and that was it. This is a market in which true active management and truly good decision makers can prove their value and that makes it far more exciting and interesting but also enables us to deliver more value.
1: Okay, Ian, I described you earlier as an an economist and um, you've described markets and economies as being at a, a crossroads at the moment. There are more negative signals than before, but it's not clear yet which way things are going to go. Which way are the signposts um, pointing for you?
2: Well, so to, to give a bit of background to that assertion that we're at a crossroads, you can see from our Fidelity leading indicator, which had been grinding gradually upwards for, for many, many months, um, suddenly this month it's taken its, its first tick down in, a, in quite a while. Same with global PMIs, the, the most timely business surveys that give us the best read on exactly how global momentum is looking, sort of started to, to roll over a little bit um, in, in a way that we hadn't seen before. Still at very good levels. And so the question really is, is this rolling over just quite natural after such a strong period and we're going to stabilize um, at fairly good levels of growth? In fact, very good levels of growth. Or is there something more pernicious, uh, malignant, I guess, going on underneath the surface uh, that's going to drive growth. Um, what, what's your lower. gut feeling? Well, I like maybe, to... Maybe not the uh, the question to ask an economist, but my, I will. My uh, rigorous analysis. Um, so <laughs> what, what we look at in terms of leading indicators for the leading indicators, uh, you know, what's going to drive growth going forward? Things like financial conditions still remain pretty supportive, um, so that doesn't seem like it's going to drive growth lower at this crossroads. Chinese growth, uh, was something we'd been worried about, but the data from the start of this year has simply been too strong for that to be the underlying driver of weakness. Um, yeah, there doesn't seem to be too much, um, underlying that, that really worries me. So my gut instincts is, um, well, the way I like to put it, our fidelity leading indicator is neutral. Our sentiment indicator says bye. So... Let's buy it because there's nothing that quite worries me enough.
1: So, Ian, mean, if you were to summarise your view, um, what, what what would you say?
2: Oh, I think conditions are tougher, but not terrible. I think that's the best way to characterise an sort of early late cycle environment. It's tougher for markets, but it's not terrible.
1: Okay, so looking at the dashboard, you're 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 still fairly sanguine, and and there's nothing, I suppose, crucially that um, would trigger policymakers to to act at the moment.
2: Well, that's very true, and that perhaps worries markets a little bit in the sense that the hurdle for for central bankers to come in and backstop markets is is higher than it was um, before, um, and that's why you've not seen central bankers really step away from from, for instance, the Fed stepping away from looking to do three or four hikes this year. That's a worry for markets, but then markets have now fallen 10% and that's kind of well discounted.
3: I think, you know, you're right. And I think actually the, one of the risks at the moment to markets is the US central bank is, is increasing the rhetoric around we're going to tighten and we might tighten more rather than less. And actually markets are fine with that post-correction. But, but the risk therefore become, becomes the other way, that the Fed has to reduce the number of rate rises because the economic outlook isn't as rosy as, as it had been signaling. And I think markets would take that very badly because that would be a, a loss of faith by um powell and the the rest of the fed in the u.s resilience of the u.s economy so i think the risk by indicating they might tighten more is that if they go back to where they were um you know a few months ago in terms of the likely number of rate rises this year that might actually panic markets
1: and do you feel less secure with a new uh, chairman of the fed than you might have done uh with the previous incumbent still in place
3: Change is always a worry for markets. Markets dislike change, inevitably. Um, And part of that is because it creates uncertainty. So there is inevitably an extent to which a change of the lead of a central bank creates questions around their messaging, the tone, what they they mean by bullish and bearish, etc. And therefore there there is a degree of worry. It's not major, it's just there.
1: Okay, well, um, Peck, let me come to you because Ian mentioned China, and um, in his view, you know, it's it's fine, it's um, it's pootling along, if that's one way to describe uh, an economy of that size. But um, what, what's view? Your view is it slowing any more than um, than you think we're seeing at the moment?
0: I think China engineering a slower growth trajectory is actually well telegraphed. I mean, the focus uh, onto more quality growth than the quantum of growth. Um, is actually quite well publicised. For me, particularly interesting this year is the government was very focused on uh, mitigating uh, systemic risk on the financial market and the stable growth trajectory that's almost set the floor for me in terms of as an investor. Unlike previous cycle, I guess if we sort of look back and what actually um, set the recovery this time, I think the supply side reform that they've done both on uh, some of the commodity segment and also removing excess uh, inventory in the property market. So
1: there's a lot of policy really beginning to um, to take effect you can see the impact of, um, of what they're trying to do. I guess what
0: I was trying to say is that the driver of it was slightly different to previous cycles where actually was actually credit stimulus mm-hmm. that actually created growth this time was actually um, the supply side and the other thing also what a lot of people worry about China is actually the, the policy accidents I think if you look at the Beginning of this year, there's a policy maturity in terms of uh, how they conduct policy in bringing off balance sheets um, items back to the, onto the back bank balance sheets, providing at the same time they're pro- providing liquidity to the system. That actually sh- uh, shows um, some maturity in the way they conduct policy. China opening up the market uh, in the sense of uh, both bond connect and equity connect, and also inclusion in the MSCI indices are also you know additional stimulus uh, to the for investors into the market.
1: How does that then have an impact on the, the rest of the world? What should we expect over the, um, the next few months or the rest of this year?
0: I think but from an economy perspective, I, I think China is actually fine. I'm not actually worried too much about that. Uh, as far as investors concerned, I think the fact that um, China opening up the capital market is actually uh, a very, very positive news for us. Um, I think longer term, we should perhaps need to watch the impact and the benefit of uh, China opening up the c- capital market, just like when they joined the WTO. On the trade war, I think China this time around is probably well-placed compared to five years ago because uh, export is no longer a major contributor to economic growth. Uh, So they're actually quite a consumption and service-oriented market now.
1: Okay, so there's a lot going on in the world, but there's no real narrative for markets, uh, James. Does that make them... More sensitive than usual to an individual data point. Well,
3: you know, Richard, i actually say it's why we expect them to be range-bound and why we believe in we need to be reasonably tactical in our trading because markets like to latch onto a narrative. You're completely right. There isn't a clear narrative, and therefore they're likely to be broadly directionless. And by directionless, we mean within a you know a 10-15% range probably. So so that that's why that's our that, base case. That we might think, not
1: feel directionless if you're moving from one end of a 15% it, range.
3: Absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> Um, but actually you know, it, it's that difference between how it feels on the day and how it looks on a chart when you look back in five years and we have to always try and give ourselves the perspective that you don't naturally feel sat around the desks um, when we're making decisions so yes it can feel very volatile it can feel very much short term it's got a lot of direction but there isn't a long or medium long term trend and that, that, that is quite important because at some point a new narrative will establish itself and one of the things we're very focused on is that going to be a narrative to the upside or to the downside for equities you know in our base case it's probably Probably we'll see another one to the upside for a while, but we're not certain and that's something we're,
2: we're clearly watching the data for. I, f- I feel like if there is a narrative that's gaining traction in the markets, it might be that we're early, late cycle. And that's quite a hard narrative. It's, it's a narrative that very much fits in with James' range-bound assertion. So, so what can markets grasp onto next? Well, it's whether or not we get confirmation that we are early Late cycle, so growth stabilizes inflation doesn 't accelerate to the upside, and then maybe we get back into an environment where you you grind towards the top of that range and and, and people start to feel more positive. If that narrative of early late cycle becomes oh gosh we 're actually mid late cycle late late cycle, for instance, if inflation starts to reaccelerate, China does start to slow down so th- that 's the way i 'm reading the the market 's narrative and and kind of how i 'm framing incoming economic data as to. Which side of, of that channel we're, so we're it's heading towards? It's a towards.
1: nuance um, uh, that, that's beginning to creep in, I suppose. I,
0: I think China actually will be providing the anchoring factor in the sense that pro, uh, the stability of China's growth this year uh, should anchor uh, where we are. And on top of that, the US tra- tax reform actually sh- should provide the locomotive for the for the US uh, consumers as well as industries. So with that, I think the economic fundamental is actually quite conducive.
1: Right, well, thank you very much indeed, um, Peck. It's now time for our game of hot cakes and hot potatoes. What would you buy like a hot cake and what would you drop like a hot potato? Um, so, uh, Peck, why don't I come to you first of all?
0: I would buy for the remaining of the year, India. Uh, give you the domestic exposure. It's a very unloved market among the emerging market investors. The bulk of the reform is behind us. Banks are recapped. Uh, GST is reformed. So it's very powerful uh, growth engine uh, with the digital India.
1: And what would you sell?
0: U.S. Treasury, I suppose. The demand and supply picture is not uh, supportive.
1: Great. Ian, your hot cake.
2: My hot cake is slightly controversially uh, the Russian ruble, if I'm allowed to have that. Obviously, after a 10 percent bloodbath in in the currency, and justifiably so, given the U.S. sanctions. I think we do have a buying opportunity because the the actual macro fundamentals of Russia, um, in terms of its current account surplus, its good fiscal policy, its FX reserves, suggest that you know for all um, perhaps its uh, moral issues and um, geopolitical uh, transgressions it can weather it better than a lot of emerging markets would have so I'd i buy. i
1: feel it's you and your charts making that decision uh, perhaps rather than the um, charts not uh, hearts not heart exactly okay and your your hot potato
2: what would you drop i would be selling copper i think uh, it's expensive relative to its marginal cost curve and that tail risk that we have of china slowing down more than expected on uh, financial tightening um, and slower fiscal uh, spending, um, that should be felt most clearly in copper.
1: Okay, you're getting rid of your, your
3: pennies. Um, and James, your hot cake. So both of mine are going to be in equity land. My hot cake is global value. And, and I said this is time to be active, global active value managers. Um, I think that's the area of the market that will do well, irrespective of market direction, it will outperform, but but also I think it will lead the market up is my guess and a change a change of environment and what about your hot potato so my hot potato is probably US growth equities um, so anything that's that's been and this is clearly fang led but anything that's really rated up and up and up on excessive growth prospects because those are stocks that at some point are going to disappoint and when they disappoint it's going to be very very painful if you own them
1: toothless fangs you forecast okay well thank you very much we're out of time i'm afraid i hope that's given you listening an insight into the thinking behind this month's asset allocation if you'd like more detail it's published in full on our website and if you'd like to discuss anything we've covered just ask your fidelity contact but now i'd like to thank my guests very much indeed peck ian and james and thank you for listening we'll be back next month but for now goodbye
0: This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for information purposes only and is intended only for the person or entity to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website or the Fidelity SoundCloud or iTunes apps.